0: At MechEd in Charlotte, North Carolina, we help transform the lives of young people who face obstacles. We are proud to point to the success of not only our graduates, but so many others in our community. Join us as we unlock the secrets to their success. You are going to hear how young people navigated a system that was not designed for everyone to succeed. You are going to be moved and inspired by the stories of each of our guests. Classes in session. Here is your host, Ross Danis.
1: Welcome, everyone, to Let's Reinvent School, the program that focuses on what's positive and what's possible, not just what's wrong with our schools. In this, our second season, Let's Reinvent School is focused on exploring what it takes to succeed, not just in school, but in life. We're joined today uh, by our co-host, the amazing Shelly Vibe, who's MECED's Chief Operating Officer. Welcome, Shelly.
0: Thanks for having me.
1: And and the amazing, extraordinary uh, colleague and someone I'm proud to call friend, Federico Rios. Uh, Federico is the Assistant Director of City in the City of Charlotte's Housing and Neighborhood Services Department. He helps manage several city initiatives dealing with diversity, equity, and inclusion, economic mobility, immigrant integration. He's charged with helping to eliminate systemic barriers. Prior to joining the city, he spent Eight and a half years with communities and schools, Charlotte Mecklenburg, as the founding director of the newcomer services program, in partnership with Charlotte Services. Yep, sorry, Charlotte Mecklenburg Schools. He created a case management model that to serve newly arrived and often highly traumatized young people. He, I could go on and on. uh, Part of the leading on Opportunity Council, served on the Mental Health America's Policy and Advocacy Committee on the communities and schools, Charlotte Mecklenburg Board of Directors, the Equitable, Commun- Equitable Community Board of Directors, Vice Chair for Carolina Migrant Network Board of Directors. He, pretty extraordinary, pretty extraordinary background. But I will, I will say that of all of those things, the thing that he is most proud of as I am as well, what we have in common uh, is being a husband to his wife and me to mine. And his wife is Lakeisha. And he's the father of two young boys, Elias and Jaden. I hope I got their names correct. Welcome. Welcome, Federico. Ross, thanks so much. Uh, It's great to be here with you. So, you know, thank you. Everyone has a story, right, about their experience in school. You know, many had to overcome prejudice or low expectations by teachers. Others are bullied because of their sexual orientation or their economic status. We want you to take us into your world. Help us help us understand how you manage to manifest this amazing life you have.
2: <laughs> well, um, thanks. Thank you for the opportunity again to to speak a bit about my experience and how it connects to my work. Right. Um, yeah. So uh, it's interesting because I, di- I didn't think about this as I placed uh, the camera in space, but my my story begins at the street sign behind me. So I'm originally from. Um, South Oslo Park, Queens, New York, a, a town in the city of New York that's right outside of JFK Airport. Um, everyone's story starts in the middle of your parents' story. And so uh, I was born to two amazing individuals. My mother, Sophia, who was, um, who was an immigrant to this country, came here when she was 20, 29 years old uh, from Colombia. And my father... Alejandro, who uh, came to the States much earlier because his father was in the army, uh, a Puerto Rican um, who migrated with his dad uh, to several places and ended up moving to New York City around uh, 18 years old, 16 to 18, somewhere in that range. And um, so again, you start in the middle of their story. So my mom, you know, had this experience where she migrated to be reunited with her family. All of her family at that point had uh, moved to Queens. And so um, she comes here for that purpose. And then my dad had actually left a very abusive relationship with his father um, and had this incredible blow up situation where it led him to have to leave the home. He went with his older brother and moved to New York City uh, from Texas, where my grandfather was stationed at the time. And uh, my father, interestingly enough, was a fifth grade dropout. So his school experience was um, was definitely something that would come up often based on his abilities and what he could, could or could not do or felt comfortable doing. Uh, my mother completed high school, to my understanding, or the equivalent of high school. Uh, it was more trade-based. She was supposed to be a nurse. Uh, she actually didn't go into that career because my grandmother didn't feel comfortable with her going to what seems to be an internship or apprenticeship uh, late at night on her own to the hospital. And so that kind of scuttled that dream, but, um, they raised me in South Wilson park, a really small, tight knit working class community. And that's where we were. My, my mother, uh, worked as an immigrant laborer, um, at sky chef Lufthansa, which is, you know, the people that, that make the food for airplanes, um, and for these long distance trips. And so it was really backbreaking work. Um, She worked eight hours a day on her feet. Uh, it took an immense toll on her. She did that for 30 plus years for that organization. My father, when I was five years old, my father, um, had a horrible accident. He was, uh, he worked for the YMCA. And so my father made a career of two things, cooking, so trades, cooking and, uh, plumbing. And so he worked for the YMCA, um, doing kind of the maintenance, the facilities management stuff. And horribly one night, um, he fell into a condensation tank full of burning hot water and oil that, that had been left open during construction at this facility he worked in. And so my father had been permanently disabled up to that point. Now, I feel comfortable saying this because both of them have passed and there's no secrets left to hold back. My father found a way to provide for his family in spite of that. So he worked under the table to make sure that, um, that we can... We could live our lives. Right. And so I had these these two amazing individuals that that did all that they could to provide for us with very much in mind their own educational experience, what they had encountered.
0: So and fifth, so yeah, fifth
2: yeah. grade. He, he left school after fifth grade. Yeah. So we're talking about Puerto Rico mm-hmm. in the 1940s. Right. Forties, right. early 50s um, very much a system that would allow for that. And, and my father's story is according to his siblings who kind of opened up more on what they saw, they perceived that he had a learning disability Mm -hmm. and he was getting hung up in school. He just couldn't do it. And my grandfather in all of his wisdom said, well, you know, I'm not going to waste my money buying you notebooks and pencils. If, if you're not, if you're not going to, do this, or you're not going to do this well. And so he, to my understanding, went into the workforce very early and was able to do so there. And then they start migrating place to place. So he went to Germany with my grandfather, went to Texas with my grandfather. Um, it's epic story. It's, it's an American, American story. Well, and, it, and it's it's a story that's not really plausible now, right? right. It's very much a, a, a time in the history of this country where that was feasible. My father also went from that. To owning his own home, to you know, running this this uh, this business, um, and and so, you know, it, it it it's just marvelous to see. And then he encounters this really traumatic incident, and still is able to provide for his family. Just things that the system has not will not allow for in the same way now. Right. Um, question, question about this: You yeah.
1: mentioned said under the table. Now, can I assume that when he passed? There were no social security benefits that carried on to your mom.
2: Well, uh, my father passed first. No, not to my, well, I ran the estate. I don't remember my mom's estate. I don't remember any of that being passed over. Um, But he was, my father was on disability. I mean, he was pretty wrecked. So the truth is that that, the toll that that took on him and his body, Hmm. but he continued to do this. So here's, here's the part I was going to get to Russ. They prioritized my education in a way that a lot of my neighbors did not, in that with their very limited money, you know, from a side hustle turned business that that he was able to navigate through. And uh, I mean, Lufthansa Sky Chefs did not pay a lot. Um, they prioritized my brother and I going to private school. So we went to the Catholic school on the same block we lived on. Oh my! So, so when you see Rockaway Boulevard, it was on Rockaway Boulevard and 126th Street, which is on the other on the other wall here, and that was our world. That street. I mean, we went to that school. I went K through eight, and it was a very small school. Uh, you're talking at the time 250 300 kids total K through eight. Um, and so it was a really what was the alternative. Country. If you, if they didn't pay for you, yeah, it was the public yeah. school system. It was the public school system and. So two things I think weighed heavily on my parents, again, kind of think, sifting through conversations we had. One was Catholicism. They wanted me to be raised in their faith. Um, and two was their perceptions of the public school system mm-hmm. at that time. And so, you know, they made this investment. Now, I would say to you that I, you know, I have sent my own kids to public school uh, from the beginning of their education preschool on. But. Uh, Because I'm a little bit more understanding, because I understand the system better than they did. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But um, I think they made the best choice that they could make in their in their circumstance. And they they did it in a way where it was the school up the block from the house. You know, Um, as you said, that was your world. Yeah, it, it was it was it was an amazing experience. And so when you talk about being bullied and stuff, I had those experiences to a degree because. In that setting, you still had a very, a very significant class divide. You had those that could easily afford the school, and then you had those like myself and my best friend, who again lived on the same block, that um, struggled to pay that bill, and were getting talked to by the nuns like every other month about you know being behind on the payment, and so you know th- there was this dichotomy, there was this this tension around are not the same and so i i've told this story often and i almost feel it's a trope at this point so i i don't say it as much but i would wear the same clothes you know we were at a uniform school i'd wear the same clothes repeatedly because it was just the easiest thing and i remember a kid calling me off for that mm-hmm. um so that those are the kind of the experiences that that i had going through that um yeah and then i end up at a public high school a right
1: public high school. right now, similarly, you know, I went to Catholic school from first through ninth grade, hmm. and then sophomore, junior, and senior year in a public school. But I also remember a nun pulling me aside in eighth grade, saying, uh, "You smell," because my you know, yeah, I had one uniform in that yeah. one jacket I wore every day. And I remember my mother would, would spray Lysol <laughs> in it.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and you know, it, it, so I'm a big uh, and I. I know Ross well y'all. So Ross is a dresser. Uh, I don't think you guys can see him, but Ross is a dresser. Right. And something about that experience instilled in me, the need to be neat. Mm -hmm. Maybe you didn't smell right. Maybe your clothes is old, but you gotta be neat. So I ironed my clothes every day. It was, it was the one trait that's held on. It's my, it's the only chore I enjoy doing. So yeah. Well, my mom would, uh, sprinkle my white shirts with
1: starch, roll them up, put them in the refrigerator, and then oh. in the morning, iron them. While they wow. were Yeah, yeah. But they didn't look anything like that when I got home. <laughs> <laughs> same, same. Right? <laughs> right? So with your own kids in public school and your experience in Catholic school, what's different? Do you notice
2: anything different about the in- instruction or what the curriculum is like? I, I mean, everything's different. Ross, there's a whole new math. I don't know if you've heard. Um, it's no more it's, no more goes into. It. Yeah, it's very different. I mean, well, let's talk about the similarities. So my kids, I was very intentional. Um, my wife and I were very intentional about sending them to a school that prioritized diversity, that had a diverse experience, right? Um, and it, it turned out to be a school that was almost almost entirely African-American and Latino. It was Oakland language Academy where they started uh, their experience here in CMS. Yeah. And that mirrored my experience, actually, interestingly enough in Catholic school, the whole school was, was almost all African-American and Latino. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so in that respect, it's similar, but different experience. I mean, it was a larger school. It was still a K, but very much larger. Um, and again, they had system—they have system-savvy parents, and I had parents that, you know, their their biggest thing was, hey, you got to do good, you got to do good, but they didn't know necessarily what that took. I, I distinctly remember around second grade, I couldn't get home homework help at home anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just not something that, either because of the language barrier, my mother never learned English, right. or because of you know capacity issues with my dad and his abilities. Mm-hmm. There was there was a limitation there. And so my kids don't have that limitation. Um, I'll I'll share one story I know we're coming up to break soon. Yeah. My oldest, probably one of the proudest moments of my life, he's in a K K eight school, third grade, the first year he's eligible to be in the spelling bee. He gets into the spelling bee and wins the spelling bee. He beat eighth graders in the spelling bee. Could you imagine like how big my head was, how tall I felt? Yeah. And so he he wins the spelling bee. And I remember calling my mother just amazed, right? And I'm like, mommy, Elias won the spelling bee. Mm-hmm. And she said to me, you were just as smart. I just didn't know what to do with you. Oh, wow. wow. You know, and, and it was, it, it's like this eye-opening experience of man. But she too was proud because whatever she did do worked enough. Sure did. To get her to a place where her grandson's willing, winning the spelling oh, bee. Right. Where well, you made so, me Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um,
1: We're going to go to a break, and this is amazing, actually, quite an extraordinary story. Thank you for being here. When we get back, we're going to talk about, you know, more of those experiences in and outside of school that had an impact on you, both positive and negative. I'm sure there are a few that you can recall. Um, Thanks, everyone, for listening. You're going to hear more about MechEd on the break. Uh, You can always go to www.meced.org. You'll see a donate button there. Uh, we encourage you to t- take advantage of that. We'll see you on the other side. Thanks, everyone, for listening. So, MechEd is a college and career readiness uh, institution that is very committed to workforce development, has been for quite some time, with a special emphasis on making sure that the kids who face obstacles in our community have a fair shot at a bright future. Right now, we're working with young people from uh, Garinger, from Harding, University High, West Charlotte, and Chambers High School. Before the pandemic, they were all on the bottom fifth of the economic ladder. These days, they, it's hard for them to even find that ladder. Then we provide job shadows, uh, paid internships. We'll pay for career clothing, transportation, food, certification programs. Go to make sure that every, every young person in Mecklenburg County has an opportunity to, to live a life where they can thrive, both in school and out of school. And we believe that that doesn't happen just by being in school. That school isn't enough. That to be educated requires much more than school. Experiences matter.
3: My experiences with Maked, uh they put me in an internship at the hospital for two years. I, think, I, th- I do think MECAD is invested in me um, living my dream. They want the best for each and every one of their students and it's like they won't go down without a fight. <laughs> so, Mecca means opportunity, family, friendship. I am a healthcare tech at Atrium Health University in the Maternity Center.
1: Uh, career Pathways, we work with underserved high school students. We put them in internships at 135 different businesses and industries around Mecklenburg County. It's, it's a powerful economic mobility machine.
3: The experience with Career Pathways, it made me more determined. That's how I got my job at a because I volunteered for four years at the hospital. So it made me get connections, and, and they said, I'll, I'll give you a call.
4: With um, the students that we've had, the preparation that they had through Career Pathways was just exceptional.
3: Honestly, I don't know what I would would do without Career Pathways. like, I don't want to see it, like... It's not, I don't know, having someone to talk to and a shoulder to cry on, you know, different family.
1: mec has been around since 1991. We're here to serve young people in Mecklenburg County. And we're here uh, to make sure that they have the experiences, the knowledge, the skills that they are gonna need to thrive in life. Young people spend only 20% of their time in school. 80% 80% of their life is spent outside of school. We want to make sure that we recognize that education doesn't just equal school. We learn in all different kinds of places in different ways. With after
4: school, you're hitting on academics, you're hitting on the things that they might not have during regular school. So, like, we have visual art, dance, theater, coding. They still get to do with their friends at school, with people who are just like them. Some of them don't even know they could dance, they didn't know, some of them don't know that they can draw. Um, So we try to bring those things out of them that they don't even know that they're capable of. But We've really enjoyed the support and appreciated the support from Charlotte Next and MacEd, not just in um, financial assistance, but also just giving us assistance and support along the way to get the programs up and running. Not every student has the opportunity to experience and and participate in in in-school or out-of-school activities. They have so many demands on themselves and MechEd opens that door to those students. And every student is different, and what MechEd does a fabulous job of is meeting that student where they are.
0: Welcome back from recess to Let's Reinvent School with Ross Dennis. Got your thinking cap on today? We're going to teach you how to reinvent the public education system. And we want to hear from you. Feel free to call in to ask a question or to tell us your story. Call in to 888 346 9141. Now, back to the show with Ross Danis.
1: Welcome back, everyone, to Let's Reinvent School. We're here with Shelly Bybee and Federico Rios, uh, who was telling some fascinating stories during the program and on the break. About his experiences in school, and um, we're curious: what is there a person or a couple people who you could point to to say that they had a transformative impact on your life?
2: Oh yeah, uh, there's there's a litany, right? And I think anybody, anyone that's been blessed to have some measure of success and serve people, probably has a ton of people around them that that have supported them. So. Um, whether it's Sister Del Seed, uh, mm-hmm. my fourth grade teacher, Mr. Fiore, uh, my seventh and eighth grade language arts teacher that that told me you're really good at this. And that's why I got a degree in English because I was really good at it. Not that I knew what I was going to do with it. I write a mean email. Um, or, you know, Pastor Larry Davidson, who who took me under his wing and mentored me. And I am, I mean, probably of all of them, Pastor Davidson is most responsible for what I have in my life. And I've said that to, I said that to him prior to him passing last year, um, on more than one occasion. And so, yeah, there's, I'm blessed. I've had so many great people are, you know, and then it's, it shifts from the mentors to the friends and the colleagues and it's, it's you Ross, it's the other members of the ALF group that we were a part of. And, um, you know, you, you, the people that make it it's not it's not that person it's a story of all the people that surround them it, you told me about uh being ordained or you were a minister or the- thanks thanks for pulling out the one thing i probably don't want to talk about yeah i was uh i was ordained a minister so p- my story with pastor larry davidson yeah. um i was uh 17 had a religious experience so i grew up catholic right kind of opted out of Catholicism around 1516 there were things theologically that didn't make sense to me um and i there, there was a significant amount of transformation going on in my life in that time 15 to 17 um i had had a bout where i was highly depressed and um i would say now was probably at the brink of, of wanting to commit suicide um kind of found myself in this in this really weird place and started trying out different religions. So born and raised Catholic, but I was heavy into rap music. So went straight into the five percent nation of Islam. Uh that didn't last very long, but it was it was a curious time. Yeah. Um then into the plaque Hebrew Israelites, which Ross, you're from New Jersey, you 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 know a bit about that group and and the interesting dynamics there. Um lasted a while in that where that really intrigued me and kept my attention for an extended period of time. I started dating a young lady that was a born-again Christian, and we would have these deep dialogues and conversations. I screw up uh, in our relationship and to try to make amends, follow her to a church event, a youth church event one night. And it it affected me. It impacted me. It had it had this significant effect. I remember um, there was a gentleman that had been a crack addict for an extended period of time who had turned his life around. And he gave his testimony and, you know, it, it impacts me. I'm obviously I'm 15, I'm 16, 17. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, I'm all emotion teenager. And and so this resonates deeply with me. I go up, I accept Jesus as my Lord and savior, which you don't do in the Catholic church. You go through the sacrament, and it it changed my life. Mm -hmm. And so I wanted more of it, but I didn't know where to go. So I started going back to the Catholic church and that still didn't resonate with me. So it wasn't the place. And I found out a good friend of mine at, in my high school was going to Bible study. And it's so like, I, I I like was like, you have to take me to Bible study with you um, because I was so hungry for this thing. We didn't, we didn't read the Bible in Catholic school. No, we did, but. And and the truth is a lot of Christian churches function the same way where they'll give it to you, but they're still giving you their interpretation. So it's, you know, I've learned a great deal since then and, and, and much more amenable to where people are based on, on different journeys. But, um, at that point I started following him to Bible study and at Bible studies where I met my wife, met my wife, met pastor Davidson, uh, met these people that I still connect with to this day. I mean, several of them, I was at their home recently mm-hmm. and it, it just was a turnaround point in my life. Um, and so uh, Pastor Davidson kind of took me under his wing. He saw something in me very early. Mm. So you, you you talk about leadership development. He was the first person that saw mm. that other thing in me. So I, I was telling this to someone recently uh, that asked me if I was a preacher, and I was like, no. But the you know Pastor Davidson was at my baptism. He was not the person that that baptized me. Again, I had been baptized as a Catholic, but that's an infant baptism, and so. He says to me after the baptism, and this is the first time he met me, he says, okay, so what you need to start doing is taking down notes uh, because when you preach. And I was like, I just got baptized, bro. <laughs> Who said I was preaching? Uh, but he saw it. And he took the time to cultivate it and and just, you know, drive me around and talk to me, spend time with me and, and nurture what was already in me. And so I know we're, we're, we're down a road here, but and I, I had the opportunity, um, maybe a year before his passing, before he'd gotten really sick to say that to him, you know, everything I have is because of you, every single thing. It was him taking the time out to do something that nobody asked him to do. And he just committed to it because he saw something in me. So I did get ordained in that church. I was the first minister ordained in that church. Um, I gave the license back. I don't tell that part of the story. I gave the license back within a year. I was like, I'm not doing this right. Here, take this back. Um, But I I do feel that all that he he nurtured and and developed in me has come to great use in another capacity. Right? I can almost think of it as like, you know, you were assigned
1: Catholicism at birth. Yeah. And later you
2: searched and you chose you know a a path yeah very different which my parents weren't big fans of initially um but they came along and both of my great grandparents both sides of my family had converted to um protestant christianity and so there was there was some history there and i think there was an understanding but um yeah
1: the the resilient child studies that came out of england in the late 70s it's pretty clear that in most cases there's at least one person that people can point to that had a transformative impact on their life and it doesn't necessarily have to be a parent or a teacher it could be your neighbor yeah. or a grandparent it's, or yeah. to go after school
2: a lot of times it's, it's just the person that you're watching and they have no clue you're watching them right Fair enough. um it's, it's so weird that i'm talking about Pastor Davidson, I mean, this time last year, he was, he was dying. And, um, I just got off the phone yesterday. So I'm doing this, the alternatives to violence program here locally, which connects us to the cure violence model, which comes out of Chicago. And so one of the gentlemen over that model is in Queens right now. And he's sitting with a guy who was the biggest, one of the biggest drug dealers in the history of South Queens. Yeah. And, um, the guy's listening in on the call and we start talking and everything. He knows Pastor Davidson. And my clout in this call is not that I work for the city of Charlotte. It, it's that I'm from Southside Jamaica, Queens. Right. And that I know Pastor Davidson. And that that I got that verification, right? I got that check. Here's this person that that he's can still, say. He's still working for you. He's still doing it. He's still doing it, man. Yeah, and, man. You know, so in my life, my, my purpose... I think in a lot of ways has been to replicate what he did for me, for others at a bigger scale in yeah. another way. Um, and I'm, I'm so if, if you call that ministering, that's fine. I'm, I'm just serving people. Um, and it's, it's, I'm also grateful that I'm not held up to, I, I'm not limiting myself to just my faith. I can talk and work with people of any background. Um, and so I, you know in that way it's it's that much greater it's it's that much better wow
1: uh, what a story let's go back to high school so you left catholic school yeah. and you go to public high school Yep. did you just go crazy like, yeah with
2: all yeah the crazy? a little bit a little bit yeah. so i went to uh cardozo high school in bayside queens which if you know queens that's about a 40 minute drive uh without traffic uh it's it's a distance, man. It's it's a long, long trip. And um I went from a school again, 250, 300 kids, however many there was, to a school with four thousand kids. And I was so I was responsible for getting myself to St. Anthony's. I walked up the block. Right. For Cardozo, I had to take two city buses to get there. Hmm. And you know, I I could get away with things so um you know i started cutting class i was hanging out with, with a bad group of kids not a, a a group of kids that was doing bad things or things they shouldn't have been doing way too much freedom way too early and um it was in that experience that i kind of just I, I lost my way in a sense but i i, I do think that was necessary Right, I was at this at this point in my life where I needed to have experienced that freedom to know what my parents were trying to instill in me was worthwhile. Right, um, and I it was at that bus, yeah, did, did you just skip, you know, taking
1: the buses and just not go in that day, or did you cut or,
2: or stupidly, I'd go and not do my homework. It was the weirdest thing, man. I'd go to class and I had no intention on doing work so what am i here for right or we had a area we had like this main lobby thoroughfare thing that we called 42nd street because it's where all the action happened and so i just hang out on 42nd street i had a friend in the attendance office that that triple stamped my um my my program card and so i was able to get into multiple lunches it was it was just i was just doing all this stuff and um It interestingly enough is also the period in my life where I got to know my father differently Mm. um, because he started opening up and he would say things like, you know, hang out with those kids. I think he knew intuitively I was hanging out with kids. I probably shouldn't have. And I told him some things and he was like, that's fine hanging out with them, but don't become them. You know, don't, don't do what they do. And he was kind of giving me little glimpses of, hey, I made these mistakes myself. Don't make these mistakes. Right. You know? Um, Did you participate in any clubs
1: after school programs? Were you in the band? No. No. Uh,
2: <laughs> I So, first two years, I was kind of just, you know, there. Uh, fell in love with that young lady around the end of my second year, third year, and she saw all the potential in the world in me, right? So she's the person that was like, you are smart. You need to go to college. So that's the other person. I would say, uh, Elenji Denton, who's now a doctor that that teaches, that's a professor at uh, Columbia University. She had this this significant impact on my life because she kind of told told me who I was when I had no clue. Um, she recognized it. And, and so, you know, it wasn't, Around second, third year, I start working. And so I worked after school uh, because I wanted to buy nice clothes so that the kids wouldn't make fun of me. You. Um, you know, and so I could stunt so I could I could look like somebody. So, yeah, yeah, it was uh, yeah. high school was interesting, man. It was it was really interesting. Yeah. But you got into college. Barely. Yes, I did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was my it was my SAT scores. So I, I just told a group of kids this the other day. Um, with, with an organization, I, I shared that I sucked at grades. I really didn't try to get those up until junior year, which is far too late to try that. Um, but I scored really high on the language portion of the SAT, um, significantly high enough for a university to reach out to me and ask, would I want to go there? No scholarship. Right. Um, and I didn't know enough to apply. I didn't do everything I should have done. But, um, yeah, I ended up in college. Well, how did you pay for that? Pay we for only that? have a minute left. Yeah, um, exactly. <laughs> so that's, that's a longer story, but it was my parents. let will we'll save it
1: for after the break. Yeah. But, um, yeah, high school, fascinating. You were working. Thank, thank goodness people entered your life. It's the second time I heard you say, uh, you know, somebody told me I was smart. And yeah. you we know, think of all the young people you and I serve and we care about the most, somebody has to tell them they're smart.
2: Yeah. Right.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Your mom, you know, the spelling bee
2: Yeah.
1: You know, yeah. you're just as smart as yeah. Uh, yeah. didn't have the skills anyway. Wow. Great conversation. When we come back, Shelly's gonna jump in. We're gonna we're gonna ask a couple more questions, but and then talk about the themes. What what have we heard here today that we can we can kind of distill some general questions about what it takes to live a successful life? Thank you everyone for listening. Remember that uh, uh, experiences matter. You'll be hearing about that in the next commercial break. When we get back, we're going to talk about some of the themes, uh, some of the things we heard today, what lessons we can distill from our conversation. We'll see you on the other side. Thank you. So, MechEd is a college and career readiness uh, institution that is very committed to workforce development, has been for quite some time, with a special emphasis on making sure that the kids who face obstacles in our community have a fair shot at a bright future. Right now, we're working with young people from uh, Garinger, from Harding University High, West Charlotte, and Chambers High School. Before the pandemic, they were all on the bottom fifth of the economic ladder. These days, they, it's hard for them to even find that ladder. Then we provide job shadows, uh, paid internships. We'll p- pay for career clothing, transportation, food, certification programs. Go to make sure that every, every young person in Mecklenburg County has an opportunity to, to live a life where they can thrive, both in school and out of school. And we believe that that doesn't happen just by being in school, that school isn't enough, that to be educated requires much more than school. Experiences matter.
3: My experiences with Maked, uh, they put me in an internship at the hospital for two years. I, think, I, th- I do think MECED is invested in me um, living my dream. They want the best for each and every one of their students, and it's like they won't go down without a fight, <laughs> so MECED means opportunity, family, friendship. I am a healthcare tech at Atrium Health University in the Maternity Center.
1: Uh, Career Pathways, we work with underserved high school students, we put them in internships at 135 different businesses and industries around Mecklenburg County. It's, it's a powerful economic mobility machine.
3: The experience with Career Pathways, it made me more determined. That's how I got my job at a because I volunteered for four years at the hospital, so it made me get connections and, and they said, I'll I'll give you a call.
4: With um, the students that we've had, the preparation that they had through Career Pathways was just exceptional.
3: Honestly, I don't know what I would would do without Career Pathways, like, I don't want to see it, like, it's not, I don't know, having someone to talk to on a shoulder, to cry on, you know, different family.
1: MEC has been around since 1991. We're here to serve young people in Mecklenburg County. And we're here uh, to make sure that they have the experiences, the knowledge, the skills that they are going to need to thrive in life. Young people spend only 20% of their time in school. 80% of their life is spent outside of school. And we want to make sure that we recognize that education doesn't just equal school. We learn in all different kinds of places in different ways. With after school, you're,
4: you're hitting on academics. You're hitting on the things that they might not have during regular school. So, like, we have visual art, dance, theater, coding. They still get to do with their friends at school, with people who are just like them. Some of them don't even know they could dance. They didn't know. Some of them don't know that they can draw. Um, So we try to bring those things out of them that they don't even know that they're capable of. But we've really enjoyed the support and appreciated the support from Charlotte Next and MacEd, not just in um, financial assistance, but also. Just giving us assistance and support along the way to get the programs up and running. Not every student has the opportunity to experience and, and participate in in school or out of school activities. They have so many demands on themselves. And MechEd opens that door to those students. Every student is different, and what MechEd does a fabulous job of is meeting that student where they are.
0: Welcome back from recess to Let's Reinvent School with Ross Danis. Got your thinking cap on today? We're going to teach you how to reinvent the public education system. And we wanna hear from you. Feel free to call in to ask a question or to tell us your story. Call in to 888-346-9141. Now, back to the show with Ross Danis.
1: Welcome back everyone to Let's Reinvent School. We're here with Federico Rios and Shelly Bybee. Uh, what a story you have, Federico! What a story. I wanna, I'm curious, if you could go back and change anything,
2: what would it be about your journey? If I could change anything, um, I don't know, man. I, I've, I've been blessed. Yeah. I, I'd love to have not gone through poverty as an adult. I, I went through it as a child, going through it as an adult. The second round wasn't... wasn't Who would that love country. to not go through poverty? <laughs> But I think it was purposeful, so, um, and I, I think it, I think it was necessary, um, in a lot of respects. Do you think? Uh, so yeah,
1: Ace had anything to do with uh, your story? Were you treated differently because you're Puerto Rican descent?
2: Uh, I, I'm from Queens, right? Um, most diverse Every county way. in the country. So no, I would. To a degree there was differences right mm-hmm. so my two best friends are are haitian um but it, we were all either immigrants or you know black folks that found themselves that migrated uh from the south so <clears throat> no i i don't i mean there was always differences you, you could tell the differences you were hyper aware of differences but i wouldn't say that um anything was negative because of that so you got you get into college and you're now a student
1: as opposed to high school where you're experiencing all that
2: freedom and yeah. Right. Oh, I still, I still had a lot of freedom in college, uh, Ross that I had to navigate. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I went to Hofstra university out in Long Island. So not too far from home, although it was probably the furthest I had been. And, um, you asked the question before, how, how was it paid for? So my, I'm going to, I'm going to try to keep it together on this one. So, um, I remember not knowing the cost of things. And again, my parents not knowing how college worked. Right. And so I go to Hofstra, which is a really costly, expensive private school. And I'm not doing my best. Let's, let's, let's put that in there too. Uh, I'm just skating by way too much freedom. I lived on campus, which further expense, further freedom. And I remember, having to get my parents to co-sign a loan. And so they co-signed for the first semester, but we couldn't necessarily cover the se- second semester as I think how I remember it. And so I went home and I had this conversation with my dad. And I was like, you know, I I don't I don't know how we're going to pay for this. I don't I don't know what to do. And my dad left I remember my dad leaving and he came back. He said, open your hand, open my hand. And he put a roll of money in my hand. He said, go pay for school. Right. And I'm I'm like, <laughs> okay, I don't know what he did for that money. I don't know where he got it from. He was good at savings, but I, he, again, he just continued this narrative of investment. You know, I want this for you. I didn't have this and my dad was big on, you know, you gotta be educated in this country to make it. So, and again, I don't know that he fully knew what he was saying though there's potentially a learning disability. All of this, my father was a genius. He was, he was the brightest person. He absorbed things and he knew, he knew how to deal with people. He knew how to talk and and he could, build relationships in a way that was just amazing to me and he was a storyteller and so he drew people in and he, he was just he, he was this amazing person that said okay I, I only made it this far but you're going to go further and so here he gives me this road money so that was one year the next year I, I went to another school I went to St. Francis College in downtown Brooklyn and I paid out of pocket for school so I, I kept working at that job I was working as a teenager um and made enough money and would go to school full-time and work full-time and, and covered my expense but the purpose of that stay was to get to my last destination which was stony brook university Wait, you and went to universities for undergrad right i'm, I'm just crisscrossing right? right so stony brook's all the way deep in long island uh the middle of long island in suffolk county and it's a trip and so i live on campus And this is 2001. So that's important. Um, August 2001, I get there. And in spite of the fact that it's a public university, you got to, I got to take out a loan or something to cover this. And I can't because we maxed out that possibility. So I'd have to get a co-signer. So I called, you talk about people that have an impact on your life. I called my oldest cousin, Gabe. And Gabe has always had this outsized impact. So the reason I got to Cardozo was Gabe pulled strings. He, he worked for the for the New York City Board of Ed and was able to help me get in. The reason I got to St. Francis, his mentor was the president of St. Francis College. Uh, the reason I got to Stony Brook was that same mentor wrote a letter on my behalf that got me into Stony Brook. And so Gabe had always played this outsized role. And so here I am in the place that he helped me to get to. And I'm, I call him and I'm like, Gabe, can you co-sign on this loan? And he and his wife, Emmy had just purchased a, te- uh, a co-op in New York. And he was like, no, you know, my credit's tied up and all this stuff. So I'm like, uh. so I kind of just keep going to class. I, I don't know what I'm gonna do, uh, but I, I figure I'm going to get as much of this as I can, I can. So I keep going to class and one Tuesday morning, I go to my freshman science course, which is, you know, in a big auditorium style seating set up because it's, Everyone has to take this course. And my best friend, who was my roommate, walks in and he says, "Uh, a plane just hit the World Trade Center. What? Fast forward a couple of minutes, he's distraught because his uncle works in the World Trade Center. And so he just couldn't focus and he was like, yo, I'm leaving. So I follow him. We go back to the room. And, you know, you, you start thinking through, well, who else could be impacted? And so my brother takes the subway in to Long Island City, close to close to the city, close to Manhattan. And I'm like, well, let me let me call and check if he's okay. And so I get all these quarters. Right, this is the time when payphones quarters. I didn't have a cell phone, and I go downstairs, and I'm. It's the first time, probably the only experience I ever had, where the the only experience I will ever have because cell phones aren't a thing anymore, where I put a quarter in, and you you heard no doubt, the lines were all down everywhere so i lost all my quarters trying to call when i go back upstairs to get more quarters it hits me gabe's wife emmy my cousin worked in the world trade center so now i'm distraught yeah and i go upstairs and i think that's i think that's when this either the second plane hit or when the first tower came down i couldn't tell you exactly so um, Eventually, get in touch with my family. They're all going to. Re- they're all going to get together at, at Gabe's and Emmy's apartment. We get into Queens through our other roommate, whose mother lived in Chinatown, and he was like, "Well, I need to go anyway, so I'll take you guys." It took us four hours to get into the city, into Queens, which is unheard of. This is typically an hour and a half trip. It took us four hours to get there because every emergency vehicle on Long Island was racing to the to Manhattan, and so we finally get there. Um, I go to the end of that same block. So instead of going to Rockaway Boulevard, I went to Sutter, and I looked down because you could always see the World Trade Center from there, and it was just plumes of smoke. So, and I just spent all that time telling the story. So, anyway, fast forward, uh, Gabe finally comes home. He had gone to work in a suit. He came home in a t-shirt and shorts from Saint Francis College, and he, he he had been looking for Emmy. Mm-hmm. Um. Sadly, Emmy passed that day. She was um, she was in the second tower on the eighty first floor. She worked for a fiduciary trust. Um, her last conversation with, was that we know it was with her best friend's husband, talking about the plan for her daughter's first birthday, um, which was coming up. I think two weeks, two or three weeks after. And so, we lost Emmy that day. And fast forward a couple of weeks, I end up back in. I stayed with gabe for an extended period of time i manned the phones i went to the armory to hand in her dental records i um i stayed with him you know and, and did for him what he had done for me I, I was support and i will go back to school eventually and gabe calls me one day and says hey um they the insurance is covered um emily and passing and I'd like to pay for the rest of your college education. So, so <laughs> um, again, I'm I'm here because of that. You know, I, I finished school because of it. And let me, just, let me
1: just say a couple of yeah. things real quick. One, you win, by the way, uh, uh, as the the first guest to bring tears to my eyes six times, at least a half a dozen times over the past forty five minutes. And I have three takeaways right now that I'm gonna flip it to Shelly. One is the uh the benevolent community, mm-hmm. the power of that benevolent community. Two, it's the social capital
2: mm-hmm.
1: you've earned or cultivated that enabled you to navigate this path. And uh God bless Gabe. Yeah. God bless Gabe. Shelly, got some takeaways here?
0: Yeah, I mean, I can, I can sum it up real quick. And I think I've um, heard this in every single episode that we have done ever talking about somebody who has succeeded in life. It is all about having caring adults or a community around you. Yep. Um, it can just move mountains for any, any child who is facing an obstacle um, over and over again. We have just proven that through all of our stories and and I liked what you said earlier, um, too, about, you know, it sometimes it's you're just modeling a behavior that somebody is watching and you don't even know the impact that you're making. Um, so, yeah, I just it's it's you can't have enough caring individuals in your life. Absolutely.
1: Absolutely. Uh, another thing that I, I I hear over and over again is that there's a difference between schooling and education.
3: Yeah.
1: Right. Your dad was was an educated man. Yeah. Right. He may not have gone to school. My grandfather, third grade,
3: Mm -hmm. uh,
1: uh,
2: nine years old, when he left school. Brilliant man. Yeah. But my my dad would sit and just watch the History Channel all day if you let him, right? And it was this, and he'd read, and he was just into things. And he -hmm. he was, I am him. I'm a repository of useless facts. My dad was that guy, right? He would just tell you stuff, and you're like, "All right, thanks, yeah, for that, right? <laughs> for
1: that. Yeah. Uh, listen, thank you for being on today you're you're extraordinary you're you're such a dear friend, and uh, I could tell stories about our time on the mountain, but i'll I'll cry again. so uh, <laughs> and the only hurt people hurt people line yeah. that has yeah. left. Thank you for that. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Uh, we'll be back next week next Thursday from eleven to twelve. And of course, you could, if you didn't hear the program um, live, you could always download it wherever you get your po- podcasts. I love saying that. Download the program wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, and with that, we'll just thank our guests. Thank you, Shelly. Uh, thank you all for listening.
0: We'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to Let's Reinvent School. Tune in next week as we provide more great insight into the state of the public education system. Until next week, class dismissed.